Pastor Brian. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. If you know the chorus, sing the chorus with me, all right? There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. Come on, harmony. And I know that it's the Spirit of the Lord. Take someone's hand next to you, all right? There are sweet expressions on each face. Well, most anyway. And I know that it's the presence of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, stay right here. doubt we'll know that we have been revived when we shall leave this place. Well, you know, there are a lot of churches out there, a lot of churches that have a lot of numbers, um, and that's great. I'm, uh, you know, Southeast Christian, you know, um, actually was supported my ministry for 17 years as I taught at Christian Academy of Louisville. I appreciate so much what they're able to do. Um, but one of the things that uh, I love about this church, not so much that it's not there, it, it, it is, but one of the things I love about this church and what they have to in some way try to create within that megachurch is the sense of presence with one another. They have small groups. They break up into small groups. That's great. They come together. They have corporate worship, and they have all of the the lights and the videos and the music and all those wonderful things, and, and it is wonderful. It is. I'm not degrading that at all. But one of the wonderful things about this church that you cannot ignore or in any way degrade, and that is the presence of family. The presence of the Spirit of God, when you open yourself up and become vulnerable to that and vulnerable to each other. I mean, how many churches you go into and say, well, skip that one. We'll go on to this one. (laughs) Yeah, never mind. It's okay. It's okay. Sometimes we get so professional in what we do that we forget about we're here because we're professing together. The presence of the Lord. And that's what's important. That's church. You can get a, a, a lot of professionalism out there, and that's fine, a smorgasbord of things and programs. But what is most important that I see in the Scripture is the presence of God with His people being who they are. 
seeking after that presence. And how do we do that? And I, one of the things that I see that's, that's emphasized here more and more, we saw it with Dave today, is prayer. And what is prayer? Now, I want to talk about that just a little bit today, and I hope that in, in your, your bulletin here that you'll be able to write some of these things down, because what I'm going to do today is to give you a little more of an explanation of the Lord's Prayer. I remember a few years ago I was, I was actually preaching. Um, I was an interim pastor at a little church up in Ohio, and I said, okay, so today I'm going to preach on the Lord's Prayer. And there was a lady that took issue with me. I mean, you, if you see what I see up here sometimes, you, you begin to notice different reactions and responses and retaliation um, at times with the, 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 the uh, expressions that people have on their face. You know when they like something, and that's fine. That's like sick them to a dog for me. If I see that you're listening and you know, you're, you're moving along with me, and some people that are actually writing things down, and I hope you're not just passing notes, but writing things down. Uh, and there was one lady, though, as I, I was sharing the Lord's Prayer, that you could tell she was agitated. Now, I don't mind agitating people if it's a positive kind of agitation, you know, the stir us up a little bit. That's what the word does. But this lady was agitated because she was ticked off about something. And she sat that way. The whole time. And, you know, I'm, I tend at times to be a people pleaser. So as I'm looking around, I'm making sure, okay, so this person doesn't like what I'm saying. And, and so I was almost obsessed with that through the whole message. I'm, and I'm trying to lighten it up a little bit, and she's not budging. After the service, you know, I, I went downstairs. You have, you know, as the pastor, you, you're welcome, you're letting people go through the door, and you're shaking hands and all that. And I said, so um, tell me, what did you think of the message today? I didn't like it at all. So, you know, I have a choice. I could either just say, well, I'm sorry about that, and just let her go. Or I could say, well, tell me, what was it that bothered you? And I said, the latter. And she said, because I was really agitated that you preached on the Lord's Prayer. Okay, um, could you kind of flesh that out for me a little bit? She said, We don't recite that prayer. It's the Lord's prayer, not our prayer. How would you respond, Don? You're deacon. Because that's what I do. I said, Go talk to Don. That's what I would do. So you better come up with something. No, I, I, (laughs) Uh, so, you know, I, and at first I thought she was kind of kidding, but she was not kidding, and so I said, well, I'd like to talk to you about that, let's, let's kind of flesh that out a little bit, because actually, the Lord's Prayer is a title, but it's actually what Jesus would call the model prayer. And in that prayer, it's not to be just said repetitiously. There is something about the content of that prayer that makes it a model for how we are to pray all of our prayers, no matter what we say. And and the idea, the the most fascinating thing about this is when you, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, 
if you want to turn there. But one of the most fascinating things about this in Luke's gospel, when Luke starts talking about the model prayer, he does so because the disciples come to him, and of all the things that they could have learned from him, they say, teach us to pray. It's something that we learn. It's not something that is just simply off the top of our heads or we just go to God with a wish list and hope that God's going to answer and give us what we want. But it is a model prayer. It's the attitude of the prayer. It's the content of the prayer. But it's the demeanor of the prayer. How do we approach God in prayer? And if there's one thing I think we all need right now, whether it be a mega church or a smaller church or a church that's struggling or a church that's progressing, we need prayer. We desperately need to know how to pray. Uh, Jim Simbala, who was, who's, was the pastor of the Riverside Church in, in New York City, that church was about to close. He and his wife came into that church. There were literally a dozen people. Huge cathedral. Um, and that's the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir comes out of that. It's the Brooklyn Tabernacle, not Riverside, Brooklyn Tabernacle. And he, he said, he's, he began to realize within the first six weeks of pastoring that church, inner city church, it wasn't going to work. Nothing that he said, nothing that he did, no p- new program was going to bring new people into that church. And so he got up on a Sunday morning. I'm not, I'm not doing this, okay, but this is what he did. He got up on a Sunday morning and he said, okay. Folks, here's what we're going to do. We're canceling everything. And all we're going to do is pray. I'm not going to preach. We're not going to have Sunday school. We're not going to go through the motions of what it used to be like. We're going to cancel all of that. And all I'm going to, we're going to do every Sunday morning, I'm going to call on God's people to meet up here at this altar. And we're going to pray for God's will to move this church in the direction he wants it to go, and not into the direction that we remember it going. That brings grief. It's time to let go of the grief, and time to let go of the anger, time to let go of the the discouragement, and realize that our God is greater than any situation we're in. If we pray, if my people pray, God will do something incredible that only God can do. You know what? The next week, they had two people, he and his wife. And they prayed. And that's all they did. Every week, they pray, and they pray, and they pray. Eventually, God brought people who were so frustrated with programs in other churches They had great numbers, but they were so frustrated with the programs that drew a crowd rather than to grow disciples that they found their way to Brooklyn Tabernacle, and they prayed with Jim Simbala and his wife. Jim Simbala said he went out one one Saturday. He said all of a sudden people were coming that they didn't even know. He said he went out on a, on a boat. He said, no, I can't swim. He said, but I went out on this little fishing boat, and, and I 
I rode into the, the middle of the, of the river, and I told God, God, if you can't make yourself known to me in reality, if I can't actualize your presence, rather than to see you as an abstract theological entity, if I can't truly experience you the way that I've preached about you, I don't want to live. I'm going to jump out of this boat. And he was serious. That was prayer. I'm not playing religious games, God. See, one of the problems with our prayer life is one of the problems that happened during the time of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Jim Jim Simbala jumped out of the boat and he prayed all the way to shore. He almost drowned. But he got to shore gasping. And it's the point of his gasping for breath, God's breath, that he discovered prayer. When you want God the way you want your breath and you pray to that God, you discover prayer. And today, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sings all over the world. And they grew because they decided we would pray first. Teach us to pray, the disciples said to Jesus. And this is what he said. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, and when you pray, it's not an option for God's people. Scripture says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners that they can be seen by others. But I tell you, they, they will receive their, award, their reward. That reward is the silence of God. They will receive their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The whole secret thing is, be who you are. Don't flower it up. God can handle your anger. God can handle your, handle your doubt. There can't be faith without doubt. There, you, God can handle your questions. What is really going on in your heart? And I love, I love this symbol. Go into your room. Paul said... To the Corinthians, we, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If this is the temple of the Holy Spirit, what is your room? Where do you go into for that encounter with God? You know, the, the temple had the Holy of Holies, right? And only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies to make them, their, their needs known to God and to bring you know, to God the needs of the people and to bring the word of God to the people. They were the mediators, right? The Holy Spirit, if we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in the inner room of us. In the very core of our being that some might call the soul is our holy of holies. And we enter into the holy of holies 
into the very presence of God. God's not out in some, some vast dimension somewhere. God resides in us. It's in, in him that we live and breathe and have our being. So when we go to God in prayer, it is a time where we go into our room and we shut out the world. No distractions. And we have that sacred space, that holy quality time with the sovereign God of the universe. Do you pray? Or do you just talk to God with repetition? Jesus is saying, you cannot make it in this world as a Christian if your prayer life is stunted by the distractions around you. And we tend to do that. So here's how he told us to pray. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they're going to be heard for many words. Um, it's not just many words. I don't know if you've, you've been in situations like this. When I first became a Christian as a teenager, and I, you know, I was trying to learn, how do I do this? How do I do Christian? How do I do church membership? And I remember listening so often to my pastor, who's a great guy, and some of the deacons are great guys as well, and I, they were models you know, for me, so that when I was called on as a teenager to do like youth services, they would call on me because I was in front of crowds a lot doing comedy and all that stuff as a kid. So they said, well, he, he can do it because he's up in front of crowds all the time. So they would say, all right, Brian, would you, would you pray? Would you pray? And you would think that God was hard of hearing. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you that you got me up in the morning. Thank you, God, for feeding us our lunch today. Hopefully, the pastor won't preach too long. <laughs> and God, we thank you so much for all the blessings. May people get saved. Amen. And that's what I learned for so long about prayer. But prayer, and I didn't always know this, even as a professional pastor, I did so much of that. I didn't realize that prayer is simply... Sit up, sweetie. This is my wife. I can do this. Prayer is simply... Hug me. <laughs> Hugging God back. God already knows us. So Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. When we come together, you guys and ladies, when we come together, what unites us is most important than what divides us. I wish the church could get that. We divide over so many minor things that at the end of our lives will mean nothing. But what will mean most is that we loved God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loved one another. And when we come together and we pray together, 
together we are embracing our God. Our. So prayer is a corporate kind of thing. We don't pray simply for ourselves. We pray in the context of our community with one another. Our Father, not just yours, not just mine, our, as Jesus would say, Daddy. Why am I a Christian and not a Jew? Why am I a Christian and not a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu? Because our God is a familiar God. Our God is accessible. Yes, He's holy, He's transcendent, but He's imminent as well. There is a relationship we can have with God. If you are a Jewish person, with all due respect, because Christianity comes out of that tradition, to Jews, God is very distant. You have to do all this stuff in order to be in his good graces. If you are a Muslim, it's very similar. Muslims have to follow the five pillars of Islam and do that every day and through the year in order to get to paradise where you can be with God. But even if you do those things... That, with that God, with Allah, the Arab word for God, with that God, there's still no guarantee that he's going to embrace you and bring you into paradise. He might know the demerits that you don't know of. If you're a Buddhist, you don't need God. It's all about your, yourself being God. If you're a Hindu, you have 330 million gods to, to choose from. What Jesus did was say, our Daddy, our Father. There is a love relationship there. And it's not about being in God's good graces. It's about God's grace bestowed upon us. But it's our Father who art in heaven. There is a holiness about God. And sometimes we forget about that in college um, and Austin, you may, you may see this in college sometimes, I don't know, when you, when you go to lunch or to dinner, there are some that will actually say, thank you, God, you know. But I remember on that college campus at, Christ, at Cumberland College that uh, we got so familiar with this idea of God being Father that we, we would sit around the table and say, would someone like to pray? And uh, Debbie Fitz, who I had an amazing crush on, Debbie Fitz, uh, we'd say, I'll pray, and she'd just go, ah, thank you, God, and we'd all dig in. And it be, God became so familiar that we forgot about the holiness and the sacredness, the otherness of the sovereign God of the universe. And we need to recapture that. Our Father who art in heaven, this other dimension through which we feel the influence but have yet to experience the fullness Hallowed is your very name. Uh, I'm going to talk about my wife since she's here. Uh, this, uh, by the way, we celebrated our anniversary yesterday. And her birthday is tomorrow. She looks great in spite of me. <laughs> Um, I'm a groupie for a Christian philosopher. I'm sorry. 
this guy, his name's Keith Ward, Regent Professor of Christian Philosophy at Christ Church at Oxford. Regent Professor means appointed by the Queen. And he's written some 50 books, plus numerous articles, and uh, it's just incredible. And I I actually met this guy when I was over there in sabbatical, was under his teaching. I'm still in awe of him. And he tells me to call him Keith. His name's Keith Ward. He tells me to call him Keith. I can't do it. He's just, this is Professor Ward. He has challenged everything that I believed for so long with his writings and his demeanor. He's brilliance with a heart. So, when we went to Scotland, Malcolm, where are you? When we went to Scotland a few years ago, I decided I'm going to go through Oxford so my wife can meet Professor Ward. And he was going to meet us after church, uh, and we walk out in the evening. It's about 6 o'clock. It's everything that I, I imagined England to be, the soft, misty rain. And we walk out of this, this cathedral, beautiful old cathedral that was erected by King Henry VIII. And we, we walk out there, and there he is with this umbrella, this bumper shoot, an umbrella, and a raincoat. He's my C.S. Lewis. And I walk out, and he says, oh, instead of taking the car to the, to the restaurant, the pub, let's walk okay, I'm walking with Professor Ward on one side, and I don't know where my wife is, but I'm walking on one side, (laughs) and he's holding the umbrella over us. You don't have to do that. It could be a torrent, and I'll walk next to you without the umbrella. We walk cobblestone streets, and we get to the the pub, and he, he ushers us they usher us to a table. He says, would you, would you like an appetizer? And I said, um, sure, we'll get an appetizer. And we got the little, you know, the pieces of bread that you dip in the oil, and hopefully it, it has flavor. And we, we do that. And so I'm sitting there, and I, again, I'm asking, I have his anthology, and I ask him to sign it, you know, and all of that. And he said, call me Keith. Sure, Professor Ward, would you sign... You know, and he, he signed it to Rhonda and me, and I wanted him to actually put my name larger than hers, to, you know, but he, and he signed it, Keith, and he said, that's, that's more familiar, you know, than, and as I'm sitting there asking him all of these questions about the universe, these deep theological questions, you know, my wife interrupts, and she says to him, Excuse me, Keith, did you just double dip? (laughs) No! No! Don't ask him that. We almost didn't make our anniversary. And he says to me, he said, No, Brian. I triple dipped. And they're laughing. I'm appalled. Here's my point. 
he still professed reward to me. But Professor Ward to me allows me, because of his heart and his graciousness, to call him Keith. And I can email him with questions and he'll answer me. This is a guy that takes on atheists in debates all over the world. He's known all over the world. And I have a relationship with Professor Keith Ward. But I still respect his position. Prayer is one of those activities where we commune with our Father, but we respect the otherness. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come not the empire of the world that we've created. We are kingdom activists. We are citizens of His kingdom, not simply consumers of this empire. When we start becoming nothing but consumers in the empire of the flesh, that's when we experience the hopelessness of what's going on around us every day. But if we have the perspective that our Heavenly Father is continuing to create and save through His people, and we are a part of that, we, are, we pray that prayer, Your kingdom come, Your will be done in this world as it is in heaven. When was the last time you actually prayed for the core problem, the core challenge of our world, and that is we don't know Christ and His kingdom. That's the ultimate problem. It's not the peripheral things that we want to fix in the flesh through politics and all of that. That's fine. We can try to do that. But until there's a transformation of our lives, until there's, there's salvation of souls and a change of heart, we will continue to see the empire of the world take its toll, even on the church. Thy kingdom come. When was the last time you prayed that? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The last words in the Bible. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even in my life. Your kingdom come in my life as it is in heaven. The world didn't give it to me. The world can't take it away. M.C. Hammer can't touch this. Does that give you hope? Does that encourage you, Christian? To know that the world can do its worst. Keith told me one day, I said, what about the apocalypse? What if zombies take over? <laughs> That's popular right now. You know, we get the vaccine and we're going to turn into zombies. So zombies take over, the apocalypse come, and humanity does its worst. On the other side of that, God will continue to do his best. <laughs> so rejoice. Even when things go the way that they're going, 
to know that this is not all there is. I am living out my kingdom activism, not simply my citizenship in the empire. Give us this day. It's very much in the present. It's now. Now is the day of salvation. And I know we read this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. I hope it may agitate you. I don't mean to offend. I, I just want to challenge. Give us this day our daily bread has nothing to do or very little to do with what you take in to feed your stomach. To feed your belly. That's a consumer idea. But we're talking about a kingdom activist perspective, a discernment. That means the living bread. Give us this day from the Lord's table. Give us this day this spiritual manna that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of life, Jesus, as we walk through this wilderness during this day. Oh God, may I pause to receive the manna from heaven that only you can give that nourishes the very core of my being, the soul of me that keeps me moving forward and not in retreat. Give it to me daily. The bread of life. And once you have that, then you and forgive. Forgive us. Forgive me, O oh God. And if God forgives me, then it's up to you to forgive me too. If God forgives me, I have to forgive myself. Because your forgiveness, my forgiveness, are not greater than God's. And so many of us labor on stuff that we've done in the past that we just can't be freed from. But when God says, I have forgiven you, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more, learn from this, grow from this, ask forgiveness if you need to do that, and then move on. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Not only are we to receive our forgiveness, but we are also to offer forgiveness to others. And there's some people in my past, that's tough. I I need God's bread. I need God's grace to be able to do that. But that's the prayer that leads us forward. Last thing, as as we close this out. Verse 13. Lead us not into temptation. The word there is testing. The word there means, okay, here's here's a, I'm going to just kind of chase this rabbit for just a minute. Why in the world did God create Satan if Satan is, does nothing but tempt us to do evil, God can use temptation and testing to grow us. See, God's, I, I don't think God is so much interested in us being religious automatons, robots, robber, bleh, robots. I think God wants us to be free to be the best human beings that he has created us to be. And in order to do that, we have to grow. And there are times when we 
God allows, I'm not saying God causes, but God allows us to move into times of testing or tribulation in order to grow us to understand how we can move through those things and grow beyond those things. But the prayer is, please, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May I be so in sync with your presence, with your guidance and will in my life that that's not necessary. But sometimes it's necessary. We're not listening. We think we got it all together. And God says, really? How's this working for you? Let's see what happens if I'm not guiding you. I'm letting you go your own way. And we get to the other side of that, and it's like, oh, yeah, now I get it. The prayer says, Lord, may I be so in sync with living with you moment to moment daily in my life that that is not required for me to wake up and to get it. That's what that means. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from that evil that is required to awaken us to your reality. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Can sometimes be translated as the American dream. It's what we all strive for. My kingdom, my power, my glory, the American idol. We don't deserve any of that. We are created in his image, but we are not created divine. We are not God. All of those things that we would harbor for ourselves, we give to the glory of God. Our lives reflect that presence and that surrender. Well, y'all, for the past couple weeks, uh, what I've shared with you is what I really believe is the most biblical revelation of what God's people should strive toward, being a new humanity, not simply citizens of the, the empire of the world, of the flesh. We have that choice. Our salvation as we receive Christ and move in his teachings and in his spirit, transforms us to be activists in the kingdom of God. That's the church. It's, it's coming together like we've been doing for the past few weeks as God's people Loving God, open ourselves up to God's embrace and embracing God back. And how do we do that? You all do that. I watch you. When we dismiss, in spite of COVID sometimes, we embrace each other. It's our nature now. The nature of Christ prompts us to love God with heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything that we are and to love one another. That is the message 
that will bring people to this fellowship. It's not all, I mean, that stuff is fine, but it's a tool to attract people. Yeah, and, and it's, it's effective. But what people are ultimate, what keeps them there is what you have here. What is, is hopefully growing here. Caring for each other. And I know you do. Watching each other's back. Lifting each other up. Sometimes being critical, but in a constructive way to help the growth of one another. That's Bible. That's the church. The new humanity. May we pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace.